Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. Let's pray. Our Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the strength you've given us uh, throughout this week and uh, throughout our lives. Lord, we pray that you would uh, bless us this day as we put our minds upon you. Lord, may uh, may we truly ride on the heights of the earth as we give this day Uh, to the worship of you and thinking upon you and uh, growing in you. Lord, we pray that you would guide uh, this class and that every one of our thoughts and meditations would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I'm going to begin with uh, Psalm 96, which we'll be reading in the service this morning. That's the next psalm in our Old Testament reading, but it gets us going on the right path for this last class on the Westminster Confession of Faith. So chapter 33 is the end, and it's on the last judgment, and that makes perfect sense. So Psalm 96 says this, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord, bless his name, proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day, tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all it contains. Let the field exult and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy before the Lord, for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Word of the Lord. So you see there the, the promise that he is coming, and he's coming to judge the earth. And that was not the task of Jesus in his first advent, right? He did not come to judge. But that is his task in the second coming. He will come to judge uh, the living and the dead. And that will be the, the, the last day as it is called in Scripture. God has, and so this is the first section, God has appointed a day wherein he will judge the world in righteousness. That is coming. That is what lies ahead. That is what every person who has ever been made will face, is that final judgment 
and uh, they will stand, as it says later in the confession, they will, they will stand in the tribunal of Jesus Christ and will receive a sentence from that judge. And it will be either guilty or not guilty. And then the uh, eternal, the eternal destiny, the eternal, um, the eternal fate, if we want to use that word, uh, will be uh, will begin. And that status that you receive at that tribunal will never, ever, ever, ever change. You will stay in that status. You will either be condemned to hell or you will be uh, promoted into the benevolent presence of God um, and live with him forever in an eternal Sabbath. And so... Um, This is uh, this this is all there is to think about. Th this is you know everything else else in your life is. I mean, even the important things are trifling in comparison to this day that is actually coming. And that day, what, what is incredible about that day is not only will it be, you know, it will determine the, the final resting place of every person who has ever lived, but finally, at last, Jesus Christ will be vindicated. And his rule over the nations, which means all of the peoples of of the earth will will finally be consummated and there will um, all the enemies will be vanquished at that point and so uh, this day is coming this is not a metaphor this is not like we can't spiritualize this away this is not just um, a euphemism for something else. There's a day in which Jesus will return. It will be physical, and every person will stand before him and hear a pronouncement uh, from his mouth. That day is coming. And there is only, we know, one way uh, to, in a sense, survive that day. Now, let's read through the first section and um, look at some of these scriptures. God hath appointed a day wherein he will judge the world in righteousness by Jesus Christ, to whom all power and judgment is given of the Father, in which day not only the apostate angels shall be judged, but likewise, all persons that have lived upon earth shall appear before the tribunal of Christ to give an account of their thoughts, words, and deeds, and to receive according to what they have done in the body, whether good or evil. There's section one. 
So the judge is Jesus Christ. Remember, the Father has given over to his Son that role of judging. And so Jesus Christ will be doing that judging on that day when he returns. The judged are all the people who have ever lived in the world, also the apostate angels. And and so those apostate angels, you remember from Scripture, are cast into the lake of fire and receive their judgment. And so it's not just people who get judged on that final day. It's those apostate angels that are judged on that day. And how are they judged? What is the... What is the basis of their judgment? What is, what is the judge going to look at? Their what? Yes, they will give an account of their thoughts, words, and deeds. In other words, what they have done. They will receive according to what they have done. They will be judged according to their works. Okay? So everybody who stands before there without having previously been uh, justified will stand before the judge and he will, just, he will judge them purely on the basis of their works. What they have thought, what they have said, and what they have done in their lives which is a horrible situation to be in if you're born in sin. Right? Because all have sinned and all have fallen short of the glory of God. And so when you stand before him and you're there, having not previously been justified, then all you have there are your works. And every one of them has been tainted with sin. Every one of them has 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 been, you know, fouled up by that inherited sin and then you've added your own sin because of your own corruption and the pollution of that and you stand before God just clothed in your own works and you're putrid and you stink and he hates you and will hate you eternally. He doesn't just hate the sin. He hates the sinner, (laughs) to turn uh, that phrase around a bit, right? He will, he will eternally dispense his wrath upon those, um, those vessels and those ones who appear before him having not been clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Now, those who arrive justified are not judged. Right? Because they've already been told that they're not guilty in their justification. Right? That is the declaration that you are righteous. And so you stand before Him there clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You are justified. You've already received the sentence. Even in your life, you've received the sentence, not guilty. And so you stand before him there, and he says, well done. Good and faithful slave, enter into the joy of your master. 
And all of that, we would say, is in John. Here's, here's some bobbing to explain that. The main issue in the final judgment is that of faith or unbelief. Did you believe during your life or did you not believe? Did you follow Jesus Christ or did you not follow Jesus Christ? Did you have the fear of God or did you not have the fear of God? Right? It's faith or unbelief. For faith in Christ is the work of God par excellence. Those who believe do not come into judgment, John 5, 24. Those who do not believe are already condemned and remain under God's wrath, John 3, 18, right after John 3, 16. Remember that passage? Therefore, the standard in the final judgment will in the first place be the gospel, but that gospel is not opposed to and cannot even be conceived apart from the law. The requirement to believe, after all, is itself grounded in the law, and the gospel is the restoration and fulfillment of the law. In the final judgment, therefore, all works performed by people and recorded in the books before God are considered as well. We could go to Ecclesiastes 12.14, 2 Corinthians 5.10, Ephesians 6.8, 1 Peter 1.17, and then, of course, Revelation 20.12 and 22.12. The, those works, after all, are expressions and products of the principle of life that lives in the heart and encompass everything affected by humans, not in the intermediate state, but in their bodies, not the deeds alone, but also the words and the secret purposes of the heart. For nothing remains hidden and everything will be revealed. In the final judgment, therefore, the norm will be the entire Word of God in both its parts, law and gospel. Okay, and so there's that judgment there. The only way to avoid that judgment, because your works are filthy, is to be justified by faith. Faith. Justified by faith. Your works won't save you. Right? 50% works, 50% faith won't save you because God's going to hate that 50%. Right? But faith, faith in Jesus Christ where you say, God, I'm a sinner. Save me. Cover me in the blood of Jesus Christ. Forgive my sins. I believe in your son. I believe he rose from the dead. Save me. Well, then then you are justified and you've received the, the pronouncement of not guilty. Okay? But think about that. Every thought written in a book laid open before God. Every thought is recorded somewhere to be scrutinized on that day. And if that doesn't fill you with horror, well, I, I don't know if anything will fill you with horror. Think of the wickedness of your thoughts. Think of the blasphemies. Think of the lusts. Think of the anger. Think of the, just the, the vengeance that you're, the fantasizing of vengeance that goes through your head. Um, just the, the self-pity and the you know, everything that we deal with in our thoughts 
and it's sin. Just because it's a thought and it's not outward doesn't mean it doesn't offend the righteousness of God. Thoughts are actual things. And words, then we get to words and it's like, oh, brother, you know, who's going to save me from this body of death? My mouth has been the cause of so much sin in my life, so much um, fouling of others by my words. And then, of course, the deeds, the works. Acts 17.31 says, God hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. That raising of Jesus from the dead furnishes proof to the 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 deity of Christ and that he is perfectly suited to, to this work of judging all of mankind. John 5, and 27, For the Father judges no man, but hath committed all judgment to the Son, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. And then 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Ecclesiastes 12.14, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Romans 2.16, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Romans 14.10 and 12, but why do you judge your brother? Or why do you set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So then every one of us shall, re- shall give account of himself to God. And then Matthew 12, 36 to 37, But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So, intense, intense, unfathomable scrutiny by the Lord who is omnipotent and omniscient and knows every one of our idle thoughts. Section 2. One thing before we get there. That day of the Lord. That day of the Lord, we... That could be a a 24-hour day. That could be a long period of time. (laughs) We don't know. Um, Because there's a lot of work to be done on that day. If everybody's coming, everybody who's ever lived comes before the Lord and receives their own judgment from the the Son, who who knows? Um, I don't think we receive information about the length of that day or whether this all happens in an instant somehow or, or what goes on there. But We do know this, that on the day of the Lord, Christ appears. He raises all the dead, right? The dead who died outside of Christ, the dead who died in Christ, right? That that resurrection occurs. 
for the ungodly and the godly. And then there's judgment. And then after that, there's the renewal of the whole world. There's the renewal of, of all of creation that happens along with the creature. And that will be the final, final resting place of, of um, his people. So, section two, the end of God's appointing this day is for the manifestation of the glory of his mercy in the eternal salvation of the elect and of his justice in the damnation of the reprobate who are wicked and disobedient. For then shall the righteous go into everlasting life and receive that fullness of joy and refreshing which shall come up from the presence of the Lord. But the wicked who know not God and obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ shall be cast into eternal torments and be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And so we go down to Matthew 25, 31 to 46, that proof text there. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations. And he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in naked and you clothed me. I was sick. And you visited me, I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall he say unto them, On the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. Naked, and you clothed me not. Sick, and in prison, and you visited me not. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto life eternal." So that's what will happen. And this section of the confession gives us two reasons why um, two ends, goals of the uh, day of judgment. What are those two goals that are laid out here? Okay. Yeah, so what does it mean to manifest something or for something to be manifested? Yeah, made visible, made uh, so that you can perceive it and, and um, it's out in the open, right? What has maybe been hidden for ages comes out in the open and then it's manifested to us. And so at the end, that day is going to point toward two very specific attributes of God. His mercy and His justice. Mercy toward His elect, chosen before the foundation of the world. He gives His mercy to those based upon what? Based upon nothing. His choice. Right? Just based upon his choice. 
right? He chose some vessels for destruction. He chose others for glory, right? Based purely upon his choice. And that's, um, and that's where his, his mercy comes from. And then his justice. Notice they use the word reprobate and the damnation of the reprobate, in the damnation of those who were not chosen for eternal life by God. And so um, his justice will be displayed, and so those vessels of wrath serve a purpose. They serve the purpose of exalting the justice of God, and the justice of God will be on display eternally. Right? Without hell, without hell, without damnation, without reprobation, where would be the expression of God's justice in his world? Where would it be? It wouldn't be there. It wouldn't be there eternally. Certainly, partially in this life, there's justice when, when, uh, when punishment for sins comes. But eternally, at this great day, hell will be observed by those in heaven and by God himself. And every time that the smoke of the fires of hell rise up to heaven, the new earth, whatever, it seems that we'll be able to see some manifestation of this. We will not pity those in hell. We will sing the praises of God's justice. We'll be like, finally, God's justice has come. We'll praise it. We'll love it. Right? It's sort of scandalous to us right now because our hearts are riddled with sin. And, and our hearts don't like the things God does because we judge him by what we think is humanly fair and what's not. But then there will be no, you won't be confused at all about God's glory. And everything will be to the, his glory, right? And so even, even those, that, that manifestation of his justice, that pounding, that eternal, that eternal pouring out of his wrath upon those vessels of, of wrath, we will praise him. We'll rejoice in it. And, and beyond that, beyond those two attributes of God and God manifesting His glorious mercy and His glorious justice, we'll sit there and we'll be thinking, what incredible mercy that I am not in hell where I deserve to be, having earned hell a thousand times over. And yet God showed His mercy toward me and now I can rejoice in that justice from a distance and not spit at that justice while the wrath of God is falling on my shoulders. And so, um, though the manifestation of those two things is, um, you know, it, one is just God always being about His glory. The end of salvation is not your comfort or your damnation. It's God's glory, right? 
That's the ultimate end of all things. And so whatever manifests those things highest is what is going to happen, right? And so hell manifests the glory of God and His justice, right? And His mercy is manifested in all those vessels of mercy that He he called to Himself and elected before the foundation of the world. And that is all just like a... Both of those things are fully a, a, a party to God's glory. You know, a, a never-ending psalm of praise to God's glory. And so that's why they will go on and on and on and on and on. Um, the righteous receive eternal life, joy, refreshing presence of God. Eternal life, joy, refreshment. That's what God's people get. That's what the elect get. That's what the chosen get. That's what the righteous get. The wicked, eternal torments, punishment, and wrath. Eternal torments, punishment, wrath. Section 3. This is the last section of the confession right here. Last section. As Christ would have us to be certainly persuaded that there shall be a day of judgment, both to deter all men from sin and for the greater consolation of the godly in their adversity, so will he have that day unknown to men that they may shake off all carnal security And be always watchful, because they know not at what hour the Lord will come, and may be ever prepared to say, come Lord Jesus, come quickly, amen. So a couple things to pull out of this last section. God wants us to know that there's a day of judgment coming. He doesn't want us to know the specific day that's going to happen. We don't know specifically when it's going to happen. A lot, of, uh, a lot of people have had theories about that, <laughs> and they've all gotten it wrong up to this point. But even in our eschatological schemes, we make judgments about when that's going to happen sort of generically, right? Um, uh, the premillennial, the dispensational premillennialists have the the rapture occurring before the return of Christ, and there's like a number of returns of Christ. And so they're looking for this this secret thing to happen prior to when Christ comes, and that would indicate that Christ is coming. And all millennialists are like, it can happen today. Bring it on, you know? It could happen today, it could happen tomorrow, it could happen... A thousand years from now, it could happen 10,000 years from now. Postmillennialists have a, an age of the increase of the church and the, the uh, Christianizing of the world, essentially, um, that occurs before Christ returns. Right? So there would be some, in, the indication that Christ was returning would be a Christianized 
or a Christianizing world. Uh, the, the, the church would be, uh, I mean, we'd see revivals. We'd see the church increase. We'd see a, an influx of, of um, souls into the church. And then Christ comes. And in some sense, those are all attempts to answer the question of what, what day is it going to be? But it never gives a specific day, right? It's not that specific. When you start laying out specific days, you're wackadoodle, okay? I don't know how many American televangelists have attempted to do this, but they've all failed, right, which we would expect. And, but that's not just American televangelists. That's been going on for the history of the church. There have always been... Uh, those that are uh, in, sort of settling into their secret knowledge and, and dispensing the specific time that they're coming and the reasons why they think that. Well, the confession here is like, we know it's coming, we don't know what day it is, okay? That's, that's all there is to it. And Christ makes that quite clear. Uh, it's going to happen on a day in which he does not even know Right, so what is what? Is, so they they talk about there's we get knowledge that comes by knowing there's a judgment coming. What do we what do we get? What does that teach us? Be prepared. Yep, it's be prepared in what ways? Two things they list. It deters, they say, all men from sin. Knowing that God is coming as a judge, that deters all men from sin. Knowing that there will be a final accounting should deter you from your sin, right? As you contemplate that. We're not antinomian. We're not cheap gracers who say Christ has done it all doesn't matter how I live. I don't have to pursue holiness. We don't live like that, right? That's not what Scripture tells us. Scripture says, perfect holiness in the fear of God. Okay, and so that judgment that's coming sobers us up. Okay, and so it's, and then it does something else. So it deters all men from sin, and then it consoles the godly in their adversity. So when you're when you're getting lashed because of your faith, right, which none of us have experienced, you know, not, certainly not in the ways that we see in Scripture, real persecution, persecution unto death. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs, right? Those, those who were martyred take great pleasure, take great consolation in the fact that a day of judgment is coming. As you suffer under the judgment of men, it helps you to suffer under the judgment of men to know that the judgment of God is coming and it will be perfect. Everybody will get exactly what they deserve. Right? And so it, it helps us, it helps God's people, it helps us to endure adversity. Um, and uh, particularly the adversity of, 
of persecution, right? And then it says the day is coming, what specific day is unknown, so why is the day hidden? Why does God not give us the day? And then it gives us some reasons. What are those reasons it gives to us? Okay, it says that we may shake off all carnal security. What does that mean? What does carnal mean? What's fleshly, of the flesh? What is your carnal security in this life, folks? You think the fact that you have insurance is going to help you through the last day, that you have a house over your head, that you have health, that you, have, um, that you can uh, squat 400 pounds? How many plates is that? No. Okay, four or five? You can squat 405. Greg, you think that's going to say? But. Okay, yeah. I mean, it's, it's all, those, all those things outside of Jesus Christ, His Holy Spirit dwelling in you, that you trust in. And you think, I'm good. You know, it's the guy who who uh, builds bigger barns. And he's like, you know, this will get me through. No. The, the Lord requires your soul tonight. You know, and so uh, the fact that there is a day and it's unknown just shakes off all of that stuff that we have a tendency to put our security in, our bank accounts, you know. It also causes us to be always watchful, right? We're watchful because we don't know what day this is going to occur. And we're not quite sure of all the signs that are going to happen before. You know, and even if you're post-millennial and you think that there's going to be a great increase in the church, well, how much will it increase? You don't know. And so you still don't know what day Christ is returning, you know? And so there's still an unknown there, and that's, that's good. God, is, God has made it to work that way for these reasons. And then, uh, that we may be ever prepared to say, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Right? To, to say that. There's certain brands of postmillennialism that won't say that. That's the kind of postmillennialism I don't like. Right? They don't they they think we've got millions of ages yet to go before we get to the point where Jesus is going to return. And so it's very difficult for them to say, come quickly. <laughs> you know. Things have got to get way better than they are now for them to be able to say, Okay, Jesus, we'll let you come back now. 
That was put really snarkily. But that's, again, that's not all postmillennialists. Um, it's a certain brand of them. But, but I do think that there has to be a willingness on the part of all Christians because of our ignorance, because of the things that God has not revealed to us, because there are secret things that belong to the Lord where we have to be able to say, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Now, what quickly means we could debate, right? A day and a thousand years, a thousand years a day, right? All those, we could, we could talk through that and uh, get dizzy. But fundamentally, uh, we should always be able to say, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. We want to see the consummation of the ages, and Jesus will not fully reign over his world and his kingdom and his nations in that consummated way until he's put every enemy under his feet, he's crushed the nations, he's, he's, he's doled out his judgment, the final resting place of everybody is there, and then, you know, the new Jerusalem sends to earth and everything is new and everything is glorious and everything is at rest and peace and every there's nothing left yet to be determined it will just be it will be live and glorify god and enjoy him forever and so, this is where the confession ends. It's glorious. I love the fact that the last words of the confession are, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. You know? With the amen. You know? With that amen at the end. Um, One second here. Um, I think I'll skip over that. I had some Calvin uh, from the Institutes. Um, Calvin says, unless you first of all grasp your relationship to what your relationship to God is and the nature of his judgment concerning you, you have neither a foundation on which to establish your salvation nor one on which to build piety toward God. Right? If we don't understand our relationship to God and on what basis he judges us, then we can't make progress in the faith, we can't grow in piety. And, uh, of course, he says that right in the middle of what chapter in the Institutes? The chapter on justification, which is how we live in relation to his judgment, right? Do you understand how important justification is? Justification by faith? Do you understand how important it is that you receive that forensic declaration where God says, you are not guilty, 
That allows you to stand up in the judgment. That will allow you to stand up in the judgment, having received that pronouncement by faith, which he gave you as a gift. It's glorious, right? That justification where all of the the glory, the merit, the, the works of Christ become yours by virtue of your union with him, but think about not having any of that and standing before the judge of the universe, the judge of the world, the judge of all the earth, just having your thoughts being sifted through. It's horrible. It's horrible, and it will meet with God's wrath. It will meet with a, depart from me, I never knew you. Think of the sinking of the heart at that moment for those who have not received justification in Jesus Christ. I never knew you. Depart from me. And at that moment, they depart into hell forever without hope of any relief at any time in the future. All because that glorifies the justice of God. And so think about yourself, examine yourself. Have you been justified by Jesus Christ? Is the Holy Spirit in you? Do you tremble at sin because, because you, you do believe that this day is coming when you're going to stand before God and be judged, right? Do you, do you even still, even as you face that judgment, take great delight in Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ has given you what you need to be able to stand in that judgment, right? Or is all of this just like, what is he talking about? Blah, blah, blah. Pastors using big words and um, talking about this and that and things in the future and it seems weird, you know. The Packers are playing today, you know. Oh man, you better think about this. Each and every one of you better think about this. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you been covered in his righteousness? Because you'll stand before God when you die. And then you'll be resurrected. And the final judgment will be given. And you will go to your eternal resting place. But, but there is hope. The hope is the Lord Jesus Christ. And all you have to do is believe in him, believe that God raised him from the dead, and you will be saved. That's it. It's wonderfully simple. But no one believes it who doesn't have the Holy Spirit. It's that difficult. It takes God's action to make that happen. And so ask that God would move the Holy Spirit in you and that you would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and that you will hear his well done at the end of the ages. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We are so unworthy. We have sinned against you so many times, Father, and we are sorry. We have gone our own way. We have made up our own rules. Father, we have, we have been filled with blasphemy. We've been filled with hatred. We've been filled with the the vilest sins, the sins of all those who are currently in hell we have committed, Father. And yet, Lord, 
We love your son. We bow before him. We acknowledge that he is the one mediator between you and man. And we trust in him. And so we ask that, that you would save us. And that we would hear your pronouncement of not guilty. And that would carry us through our lives and, Father, even unto the end of the ages and even uh, as we stand before you. Lord, thank you for the righteousness of Christ. It is our only hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.